and welcome to Let's Talk Native. I am John Kane, and uh, I welcome you to this program. It is Tuesday, May 26, 2020. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers or buffalo speeches, and we don't do spirituality shows. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that, was, that is heaped upon us, and we do it all right here live from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind folks that our, um, our audio streams live on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. We stream live video of the show via Facebook Live on our Facebook group pages, and uh, that is shared across a bunch of other Facebook uh, pages as well. <clears throat> uh, we take the... The audio, and we put it up on SoundCloud after the show, so it goes out as a podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We take the video, we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. There you'll find not only um, the shows that we do here as Let's Talk Native shows, but also the Let's Talk show that I do for WBAI in New York City. Um, plus, you'll you'll see uh, short-form videos that we do. Um, our, our latest is This is Canada, which kind of exposes the, the racism of Canada, especially towards the indigenous people. Um, and there's a bunch of other topics that we cover there. So uh, I encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our videos. Uh, I, I encourage you to subscribe to our, uh, our podcast, and you can catch the shows we do here and, and my New York show as well. Um, I am the show's host and producer, and I'm joined here in studio by Jake Proud, who's managing our audio and our video. Um, I guess we'll, we'll start off with some coronavirus stuff, and then we'll uh, we'll move on to the you know, more of a topic, a discussion about our legacy, and specifically the le- legacy of a friend of mine. But um, we'll, we'll get into that. All right, so the U.S. Um, ahead of schedule hit its 100,000 mark. Um, allegedly, they did it today, but I suspect they did it probably yesterday, if not Sunday. But the, the numbers, if you, if you follow any of these numbers on, on some of the, um, the dashboards that are following the stuff, there's obviously no reason that Sunday should have fewer cases or fewer deaths than any other day of the week. But I assume it has to do with staffing and reporting more than anything. But um, between Sunday and uh, and then a holiday, uh, there the numbers were were very low, and I don't think that they there were really less people getting sick or less people dying. Um, we'll see how this plays out over the long haul, I guess. But um, uh, today, officially, uh, on the sites, at least the ones that I follow, the U.S. topped the 100,000 mark for uh, number of dead uh, due to coronavirus. And there was a, a prediction that the United States would reach between 100 and 200,000 by August or by, or actually originally that was the total. They were saying the total number of dead from the coronavirus would be, would be between a hundred and 200,000. Um, then for whatever reason, uh, Fauci and Burks had scaled that number down saying, Oh, we think it's going to be closer to 60,000. Now, why they did that? I, you know, I still have no idea. Immediately the numbers were indicating that they were going to pass 60,000, uh, shortly after that prediction was made. And even a couple of weeks ago, they were saying, well, we think we may reach 100,000 by June. Well, June's almost a week away. 
And so this 100,000 mark got reached ahead of June 1st. And when they said they thought they would reach 100,000 by June, they didn't mean June 1st. They meant the month of June. Sometime in the month of June, they expected that they would there would be um, uh, in excess of 100,000 uh, people that have died of this. And clearly it's been uh, been more than that, earlier than that. And clearly they, they, they have no idea. Now, it, the the world's gone a little crazy, but certainly the United States in particular has gone crazy after being um, told to uh, you know to limit their contact and to stay at home and social distance and wear masks. Apparently, doing that for you know for you know six or eight weeks is just too much. It's too much of an of an infringement on American freedom. So even though. They just busted through the through the hundred thousand death uh, dead mark um, ahead of schedule. Good news is they're going to relax all the restrictions. Every state in the country is at some level is re- is relaxing the restrictions. Look, I know I did the last show. I talked about the casinos opening up. That is, you know, that is a drop in a bucket compared to what everything everything else that is opening up. Um, a big push to have church services and in fact there are uh, churches that are suing New York because uh, the governor of the, uh, the state of New York because they said uh, we can't be limited while we're in phase two to only having uh, group worship in, in groups of, of 10 or less we we've got to fill the pews which means they got to fill the basket let's be honest they got they got they got to fill their their plate with uh, with donations so you know, it has less to do with worship and has more to do with dollars and cents, even for the churches. It's 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 kind of sickening in a way. But so these numbers, again, on a daily basis, you know, some of these numbers in the U.S. are are, are starting to fall below a thousand a day dying. But there are places where the where there's an uptick now, especially where some of this social distancing has been relaxed or violated. And uh, so we're, we're going to see. We're going to see whether this thing is going to um, start to surge again. Uh, but even, even if it's, it hangs around 1,000 people you know, a day dying in the United States, uh, that's, it's, it's not going to take long before the numbers, you know, can, can, well, I mean, it's, the numbers are going to continue to rack up. That's all. Now, uh, internationally, one of the two of the countries that you, you had to pay attention to be beyond the United States have been Brazil and Russia. And both of them are a little uh, enigmatic to say the least, to say the least. Brazil is now considered the second, the country with the second highest um, number of cases. They're not the second highest number of deaths yet, but the second highest number of cases. They actually have more cases, at least according to the World Meter, uh, World Meters uh, dashboard that I follow. They actually have more cases than New York. There's, there's only one country in the world, besides the United States, of course, that has more cases than the state of New York, and Brazil is it. Now, the, the crazy part with Brazil, though, is the number that they have, and they're looking at almost 400,000. You know, by tomorrow, there'll be over 400,000 cases. And they've only tested, you know, they, they've tested less than 900,000 people. So it's, it's a strange number of cases for the amount of people they claim to have tested. Uh, tested. I mean, it's a it's a pitiful number. Keep in mind, Brazil has two hundred million people, two hundred twenty million people. It's a it's a very very populated uh, 
212, I'm sorry. 212. Didn't, don't want to add any more there. 212 million uh, people. It's, it's, a, it's a country. And they've got cities bigger than New York City. I mean, San Paulo, and I don't know about Rio is bigger than uh, the New York City, but San Paulo, it's definitely got some, some really densely populated areas. Um, but as, as a country, they just, they just only just now passed New York State. And, of course, they're still, you know, they're still a long ways from, uh, you know, from, from reaching a million. Uh, what's, what's the United States said? A million three or something like that? Uh, let me pull it up here. Um, yeah, the, the U.S. is, oh, a million seven. I'm sorry. 1.7 million people. Uh, uh, that's how many cases the United States has. And Brazil is just under 400,000 cases. I mean, it's. United States, yeah, you're the envy of the world, all right. You have you have busted every every record you can imagine, including piercing that hundred thousand you know death uh, dead mark. I mean, it's it's pretty sad. It's it's sad on a bunch of different levels. Now, Russia, that's another one that's really strange because they're right behind Brazil with um, uh, three hundred eighty, is it eighty or sixty? Oh, my glasses here. <laughs> um, yeah, three hundred sixty thousand cases. But they've got like an incredibly no low number of deaths. They're saying out of three hundred and sixty thousand deaths uh, or cases, they've only got thirty eight hundred deaths. I mean that's like point one. Per- I mean it's it's a re- it's well it's not just it's n- unbelievably low. And when, when again when I say unbelievably, I mean not to be believed. Um, again, just comparing Russia with Brazil, Brazil has you know, a, a, um, about 20 million, 30 million, um, or I'm, no, I'm sorry, three, 30,000 more cases, but they have 10 times the amount of deaths that, uh, that Russia does. It just doesn't make any sense. So you have to take all of this data, including the U S data with a grain of salt. Um, I think everybody knows that as the United States, you know, kind of, uh, hitches over, a hundred thousand dead everybody knows that it's way more than that and when i say way more than that probably at least double that um because of deaths that were improperly reported every state is doing things differently in the united states in terms of how they're you know how they're calculating numbers how they're determining a covid death versus you know you know uh, another death put it that way it's um uh, you know the the numbers are only relative to the to the numbers the day before. I mean, uh, and to it's it's relative to the systems that they're using. But none of these numbers can be taken um, uh, as definitive as a hundred percent accurate, or in, in some cases accurate at all. They're only there's a relativeness to the numbers, but but not an accuracy to the numbers. So you know, I bring them up only so people can see, you know can hear what the trends are and and what's moving in the numbers but um yeah you've got you, european europe the european countries have been you know knocked out of uh the, the top spots by brazil and russia uh and of course the united states has again a million more cases than well a million and a half more cases than anybody else it's it yeah envy of the world envy of the world all right so that's that's what i wanted to uh, do on the on the cope covid numbers uh, what i want to talk about was our legacy and it's funny because I, I actually got a call from a reporter today they were asking about um uh, how 
native territories, Seneca territories, uh, native territories in general in, in New York State are uh, handling, I hate saying it that way, but are, are handling um, COVID-19 and how COVID-19 is affecting them. And, you know, we went through a bunch of things, in, including um, employment and poverty and, you know, um, uh, how many cases were uh, have shown up and that kind of stuff. But, you know, after we, after we went through that, he, uh, the reporter asked me about environmental issues. And, and of course, I mentioned two specifically that um, uh, the Seneca people have, uh, are engaged in. One is the West Valley Demonstration Project, the nuclear storage facility uh, that is about 30 miles upstream um, on the, the watershed of the, the Cataraugus Creek. And the noise that the, the Seneca Nation is trying to make and Seneca people are, try, are trying to raise with NYSERDA and the Department of Energy over that. Um, and the other one is uh, the, the Cowdersport um, wastewater treatment facility that was looking at contracting uh, with um, hydrofracking companies to take uh, wastewater from hydrofrackers, including um, what would, was supposed to be their number one customer, which was uh, uh, Terry and Kim Pagula, of owners of the Buffalo Bills and Sabres and Bandits, um, who made their millions or billions, whatever you want to call it, um, from hydrofracking. They were going to be the number one customer. And the Senecas stepped up with people from Pennsylvania who are also concerned about this way uh, the wastewater treatment facility with that would have dumped um its cl- clean water so-called clean water into the headwaters of the allegheny river um so those are two I- I- issues and and of course the other issue that i had to mention to, to um to this reporter was about bomb trains uh, there was a derailed train just uh last week in east aurora which is you know relatively local um 11 tanker cars derailed and there were probably another 50 tankers after that that didn't derail um now allegedly it was carrying liquid you know um propane but there's nothing to suggest that some of those weren't carrying balkan crude or that has earned the the title uh bomb trains but regardless even if it was propane the fact that they're hauling this stuff on rails that are not in very good shape and none of the u.s rails are in that great of shape um and they run through little towns this derailment took place on main street in east aurora and of course as i brought it up to this reporter uh the Santa Nation has CSX tracks that, that run through its territory, right along the, the, the lake, essentially. And it's, uh, you know, the Senecas are not informed on what hazardous materials or nothing is permitted through the Seneca Nation. Uh, it, it's like the right of way has given anybody, you know, through through rail or, or for that matter, even with a throughway, almost unfettered access to use these these highways uh, with with no regard for for the Seneca people. Uh, so bomb trains are are, are are a bit of an issue. Now, the reason I bring up environmental issues is um, if if you recall, just before I went on the air on the last show, I had received a uh, a message on my phone that a very good friend of mine had passed away, and I didn't want to. Uh, make too much of an issue because I hadn't fully confirmed it. Um, but now I, I have learned that my, my friend Chaz Wheelock, who I've known for, man, it's it's been over 30, you know, 30 plus years. Um, 
I'm not Oneida, but my wife is Oneida, and I lived in the Oneida area. So Chaz used to come out, and you know, I was kind of his connection to the Oneida homeland. Eventually, Chaz is from Wisconsin. He's Oneida from Wisconsin. So he always review, you know, um, viewed the Oneida area in central New York as um, the homeland. And so we, we camped. We camped out, you know, with our kids, his kids, and we, uh, you know, we we checked out some of the national or the state forests and um he actually convinced oneida wisconsin to to put an office in us uh, in central new york and and of course that kind of just fed the animosity between new york oneidas and uh, wisconsin oneidas mostly this was a leadership issue not a it had nothing to do with the oneida people this had to do with ray Hallbritter and you know um and his animosity towards anybody else whether it's uh, oneidas from um, the the the, them, the the Thames up in uh, Ontario or the Oneidas in um, in Wisconsin, he was always disturbed that somebody was going to steal his thunder, uh, at, you know, and he claimed to be the the original Oneida, so to speak. It's it's, it's a bizarre thing, but it, it's interesting because you know Chaz worked so hard to um, begin a process to assert uh, for himself and for other Oneidas in Wisconsin a connection with the homeland and he was also very involved in in the environmental work so he was the Haudenosaunee Environmental Task Force um, the uh, you know the indigenous environmental network these were things that Chaz was was passionate about and so when I asked the question what is our legacy I, I, I can't help but wonder where does our role and our stance on environmental issues and and look we've made some news lately i mean over the you know last several years between standing rock and blockades uh, with soatan territory uh, there's been a lot of um examples of of native people stepping up including the senecas with west valley and with with countersport um but you know there, there's still a lot of work to be done and you know one of the things that 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 I saw in in my friend Chaz was was somebody who worked very very hard but was was always hamstrung by bureaucracy and that bureaucracy whether whether it was you know native or tribal bureaucracy from due to Wisconsin or or the politics involved in some of what what you know what transpired between um, animosity within the within the Haudenosaunee within the Confederacy, you know. Chaz and I remain friends, even though that friendship sometimes put him in in tough standing with with people that he also tried to maintain you know, connections with. Um, but he never he never changed his view on how we interacted. We stayed close. I think he he appreciated the, my stark and candid. Um, uh, an uh, assessment of where the Haudenosaunee was, where Grand Council was, what you know, what it meant to be Haudenosaunee, um, and you know, so you know, he understood me in ways that perhaps others didn't quite take the time. It's easy to either dismiss somebody, either agree wholeheartedly, or to uh, dismiss something, and and he would engage me, and you know, and I learned a lot, you know. Um, not only through Chaz, but when the Oneidas of Wisconsin established an office that he was one of the personnel to, um, look, they had a lot of information. They were located in uh, Chenango, New York, um, the birthplace of uh, L. Frank Baum, by the way. Um, so it was interesting to, you know, to to be there as um, as an Oneida outpost for Wisconsin. 
But but I'll tell you, Chaz is mingling with guys like me and Paul Delarone and uh, Gagueira Gerardo, Armand Martour, and others. Um, also left uh, some folks back in Wisconsin with uh, you know with a bad taste in their mouth, so to speak. Uh, um, he was being too. Uh, <laughs> they claimed that he was inviting the Warriors into the Oneida, Wisconsin office. It was it was it was crazy on a bunch of levels. But um, again, that relationship that we had, you know enabled us to speak candidly and regardless of what anybody else thought about he or I or the work that we were doing we were able to be honest with each other um Chaz and I managed to get thrown out of a few places together we got thrown out of Turning Stone uh we were trying to go to a um uh a League of First Nations meeting over the tax issue at Turning Stone and uh, we were greeted we weren't actually together we didn't show up together we just got kind of thrown out together we were both thrown out of Turning Stone Casino ironically Chaz happened to be in town here in Cattaraugus when I got um thrown out of the the Cattaraugus Fire Hall for what turned out to be a Seneca only meeting but as I sat into into uh, went into a meeting you know and I was invited um but it wasn't clear that it was a Seneca-only meeting on on marijuana and cannabis. Uh, as as I sat in the um, <laughs> in the fire hall, I couldn't help but notice there were, you know, there were quite a few other people in there who weren't Seneca. But that's all right. It, it turned into a bit of an issue with me being there, so I didn't actually get get thrown out. I I was about to, but I voluntarily left. And Chaz, feeling guilty, having gotten thrown out of Turning Stone with me, decided that he was going to eject himself from the fire hall before somebody caught on that he wasn't Seneca either. But uh, so we've got some interesting history. We've um, we've hunted together. We've uh, we've you know done things with our with our kids together. It's uh, it's it's a it's a long relationship that I've had with uh, with Chaz, and I can't help but. Um, but praise his endurance in spite of bureaucracy in, fr- in, in spite of you know so some so much of um uh, the thing i mean look there are so many things that'll just kill an effort and we see it, it happens politically not only within a uh, a native administration but even again when you when you start talking about confederacy and reaching across nation to nation territories and and uh, and relationships uh you know oftentimes the first thing that you're judged by is who else you are you're you're friends by uh, friends with i mean on facebook (laughs) one of the first things people do is they they check out your friends list to see who you are right well jazz and i go back way before facebook and it was clear that we, that we were friends and and he never hid from being my friend and certainly i had never had a reason to hide from being his but uh but i will say that uh, you know, that chaz um uh his relationship with me had a cost uh, politically uh, both in wisconsin and in within the the Haudenosaunee circles because you know, I, I'm not one to just blow smoke up everybody's ass about um, about how wonderful everything is. But those things just added to the very bureaucracy that, that Chaz had to face. Look, you know, we go back when there was, uh, you know, th- when there was land left, you know, for the Oneidas, um, but from non-natives who wanted Oneidas to have land right along, right up near Lake Ontario. And it turned into a debacle because of politics. The interesting thing when we talk about legacy is now uh, one of Chaz's daughters is involved in uh, where there's where there's three young Oneida women 
from the three Oneida territories who are asserting and establishing themselves on a piece of Oneida homeland. And that is essentially some of Chaz's legacy, not only because one of his daughters is involved, but that's the kind of stuff that, that he was always trying to promote. So not only was there the idea of trying to do agriculture in the homeland, do, doing some, some traditional agriculture in the homeland, but through all of this was his, uh, was his, his undying effort to raise environmental issues. And so I asked the question. I mean, I know what, what Chaz's legacy is. And, and the, his legacy is the environmental work, is the, the idea of trying to do sustainable projects that were economically, environmentally, um, um, culturally sustainable. And that's his legacy. And, and now it's, it's up to his children to see to it that that legacy continues. But I ask about the rest of us. I mean, it's easy to know what one person worked on. Um, and and I, I would like to think that, that we can and we will assert, every one of us in, at some point during our lifetime, that, that we assert our commitment to the environment, to sustainability, you know, to, I mean, look, even in the, in the, in the time that we're in right now with, you know, with this pandemic that, that should look, there should be something long lasting that comes out of this, that, that people learn from it. I'm not optimistic that, that, you know, the, the consumer capitalist attitude of the U S um, won't continue down this very same path. In fact, that's, that's evidenced by how quickly people are trying to return to the old normal because they don't like uh, having to do, change their lives, uh, which, which is why we have, you know, uh, VA four by fours on the road the way we do today in, in uh, you know, in, on, on, our, on our continent here. And, and it's why folks who live in U.S. and Canada are, are, are the highest consumers of, of energy products, fossil fuels and, and, and the like. Um, but as, as, a, as Native people, and not just as Haudenosaunee, but as Ongwe, I'm hoping that we continue to stand up to pipelines. We continue to stand up to extractive industries. We continue to, to stand up to... Um, uh, to, to bad policies that, that threaten our water, that threaten our, our land, that threaten our air. I hope that we continue this. And, and I hope that we um, lead by example and that we, we continue to, to uh, change our lives even while the lives around us don't. And, and look, and it's a pretty big, you know, this is a big wish. It's a, it's a big ask. And when I look at, you know, guys like Chaz Wheelock who worked on... on on every level he was allowed to. I mean, this is a guy who, he wasn't independently wealthy. This is a guy who, who looked constantly for work within this effort, within the environmental uh, effort, within the sustainable um, enterprise effort. I mean, this whole idea was, how do we do something that, that on one hand is institutionalized, because they're supported by native institutions, but on the other hand, um, decolonize or, or, or do something separate than what the state, uh, whether it's Wisconsin or whether it's New York or whether it's you know um, the U.S. or Canada or whatever, uh, this was always the effort. Now I, I think sometimes 
um, being constrained uh, by the institutions um, almost creates an, a, a, an inherent flaw in trying to do this. But but this is this was the work that Chaz Chaz strove for, and you know and he he did applaud those of us who sometimes stepped away from those institutions and just did things whether we you know one of the things he, he praised me for was this just the idea that i didn't wait for permission i didn't wait for the grant i didn't wait for the um for the funding to show up before i started trying to do a radio program yeah and and nobody else has done this yet uh, and, and and even when institutions have backed radio stations and um and, and websites and you know and, and TV stations even uh it it just seems like it it falls a little short so you know i know what chaz's legacy is i guess the question that i have for the rest of us what do we want our legacy to be because here's the thing i mean i lo- i lost my friend and and my and and of course, his daughters lost lost their father, uh, their father, and you know so many other people lost Chaz as as not only a family member but as a friend. So I'm not alone in in feeling a loss with with Chaz's passing. But there's a part of me because he didn't die of COVID nineteen, at least not. And uh, there's been no indication to me of that. I think it was out of the blue. I don't think anybody expected this. You know, I, and when Chaz woke up that morning, um, I don't think he believed it was his last. But when I look at his life, I don't think there should be any regrets to it. I, I think perhaps his biggest accomplishment is laying the groundwork for others to follow. Now, we would all like to do more than that. And none of us should, should feel content or satisfied um, that we've done enough. We should always strive to do more. We should always try to do more and more and not just hopefully lay the groundwork that somebody else will pick up but you know i think i think we have to we have to try to accomplish some things even at the smallest smallest level so i do dedicate this program in particular to my friend jazz wheelock who um again we all lost somebody who was good-natured silly goofy in many ways but somebody who um understood how to you know how to set up programs how to how to work a program and come up with um do the research and uh produce the reports uh, that that would tell some truths that many of us were too uncomfortable to to look at so again i, I want to give my my praise and acknowledgement to to chaz wheelock i want to share and offer my condolences to all of his friends and all of his family and to his his uh, daughters in particular, um, uh, I want to I want to offer my condolences. All of it. All right, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll we'll take a break and uh, we'll come back. We'll continue on a little bit more with the uh, talk about environmental work. We'll we'll come back with a little bit more of that. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, thanks for coming back. 
we had to take a little bit of an extended break here because we can't run the air conditioner while we're doing the show because it's too loud in here. So we played an extra long song and ran the air conditioner to take, to take a little bit of the heat out of the room. Uh, so I'm not going to apologize for that. Trust me, it's necessary. It was 93 degrees outside today. I mean, at least in, in this area. I think Buffalo logged in 92, which was a record high. But it was 93 degrees here, um, you know, in, in the village of Gwanda, which is the closest village out, off the territory to us. So it was it was a a, a hot day. So, um, uh, but I guess I got to get in the office a little earlier and turn the air conditioner to see if I can get it down lower than 70 before we get started, so doesn't we don't get overheated here. We've got a lot of equipment in here. We've got you know five computers I think in the room and. Uh, it doesn't take long for the temperature to rise, not to mention the lights. Um, hey, look, I, I want to thank our uh, sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank Grand River Enterprises and uh, Native Wholesale Supply. I want to give a shout-out to, to Eric White and ERW Enterprises. Um, but, you know, what? I also want to give a shout-out to um, some individuals. And uh, I usually just kind of mention them gen- generally as a group. But there are a few, you know, guys like, uh, like, like, like Tony and, and Cindy and VJ and Steven. These guys, uh, you know, and it could be a small amount. And, you know, and in some cases, some of these guys have made sizable contributions to the show. And it is necessary because, you know, we, we do wear out equipment. We sometimes, you know, find out we've got faulty cables that uh, we've been using for years. Look, we've been doing this for over 10 years. So in and even in this studio, we've been doing it long enough that yeah, some stuff starts to you know uh, fade on us a little bit. So and it's not even just about maintaining. You know, we're oftentimes trying to um, enhance our capability. So we you know we we buy a, a new piece of equipment here, some uh, perhaps a new camera or lens or um, some other. Uh, video equipment uh, so jake has better um better means to, to edit our our videos that we do um we we've got a new computer that we're getting in so hopefully we can do more of an open broadcast right now we use a mevo camera to go live on the uh on on facebook but we're hoping we could do something more in the open broadcast uh neighborhood so to speak so we can have multiple cameras, multiple camera angles, and that kind of stuff. So um, these are all things that we're, we're working on. And, and of course, the other thing we're, we, we're, we're challenged with is since I stopped going to New York um, in, at the very beginning of March, we've been wrestling with how do we connect up with the studio in New York or the, you know, the, the studio engineers in New York so I continue to, can continue to do the New York show from the studio and it all sounds simpler than it, than it ever works out to be sometimes we will will test uh early in the week and then come thursday nothing seems to work so um we're always refining that you know connectivity um uh whether it's an app or a website or you know whatever piece of equipment we're using so uh, we're always working on that so the contributions we get in not just the, the guys who support the show weekly or monthly, but the other contributions we, we get in help us solve those problems that, that are out of the norm. You know, we, we seem to be able to maintain what we're doing here, but, um, you know, anything else, any extra we get in uh, helps us pick up another piece of equipment and expand our capability. So, again, I want to I wanna thank, um, again, Tony, uh, Cindy, 
VJ, Steve, and 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 there there are more. But uh, uh, in fact, I, I my my button here, my uh, I'm not a mascot button, and my T-shirt that I wore the a couple of shows ago from from uh, Donna Van Boyle. I mean, look, and, and there are many ways to support what we're doing here, and one of the ways is to to listen and to have the conversations after the show and you know share the program whether you're sharing the the video or the podcast i mean that's one of the other ways that you that you you support the program so um thanks for it all i appreciate it all all right hey um again i part of what i'm doing here today is, is trying to honor my friend uh chaz wheelock um you know it's as i get older and, and i'm 60 years old now I realized that all of my friends who are somewhat older than me are, we're, I mean, look, we're, we all are facing our mortality all the time. I've, I've lost friends that are younger than me, but I'm always concerned about the friends that I have that are older. And, you know, but, but Chaz was never one of those guys I, I, I seem to be worried about. Um, and so it was, I was a little thunderstruck when, when I got the news. Um, but, you know, look, we're, none of us, uh, are immortal and we all have to face that mortality at some point and we we try to live lives that are uh, that will not leave us with either unfinished business or regrets because those are are pointless i mean uh, you know if if there's one caveat it's to try to do what you can uh but not kill yourself doing it and and i mean that literally and uh, metaphorically um, we can't please everybody in our lives, but the thing is that we can leave a legacy that will um, that will inspire, and and I think that's what what Chaz has done, and that's my call. I mean, as as we you know, look, I talk about a lot of times about identity and and culture and uh, decolonization. Those are the that's the legacy that you know that many of us are striving for is to not only begin a process of untangling ourselves from the systems of oppression that are out there but inspiring people so somebody else will 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 do it separately and and together with us i mean in, in a in a perfect world everybody inspires at least one person but or in a perfect world you you inspire more than one person so so the the effort grows exponentially but as long as we, 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 we keep, you know, I, I was once told that, you know, we will never be an extinct people as long as one person still exists. As long as one of us is carrying on Guyana to Goa, as long as one of us is, is, is carrying alive some aspect of, uh, of our real identity. And identity is complicated. I mean, because there are a whole lot of people who are trying to define it and they try to amend it. Look, I've talked about the role that church has played in altering our, ident our, our identities. Clearly, the role of, of colonization, whether it's you know, the, the European countries or their offspring, Canada, the United States, we, we are tremendously compromised when it comes to our identity because of this, the, the, those colonial powers that still exist on our lands. So the legacy that, that we all strive for is to not only do work in our lifetime, but to do work that will inspire others to carry it, carry it forward. So when I ask about what that legacy is, and, and I would like, I'd hope that that legacy does um, involve our stance on environmental issues 
And but it's it's not just about stopping a pipeline or a rail line or a power line or or whatever. I mean, the environmental issue has to do with behavior. I mean, the the, the biggest change changes that we can make has to, ha, it really has to do with behavior. I'll say something. You know, this pandemic that 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 swept the world here. I saw some good things here, in, in uh, at least in Seneca territory. I saw people come together. I saw some mutual aid response. I mean, my my friend uh, and co-host Regan in in New York City, she participated in some mutual aid. And this is grassroots level stuff. This isn't you know stuff that is that is a government program. This is you know these are communities. These are neighborhoods. And you know for for me, you know, I was immediately invited to be a part of uh, um, at least on a, a Facebook group that would uh, identify needs and uh, resources. So I saw some of that stuff, and, and it was encouraging. I just don't want that to disappear when everybody thinks that we're out of crisis because, frankly, as Native people, we are never out of crisis. We are in a constant battle. We are in a constant battle for not only our environment, but, the, but, the, but, but look, if we, re, if we view ourselves as caretakers of the earth... <laughs> Obviously, that is a huge responsibility and one that is that is almost an impossible task when you consider how many people are are are, are seem hell bent on destroying it. Now, I'm not saying that we failed miserably, but it it's hard to we, we we're a long way from ever declaring mission accomplished as as presidents of the United States want to do. And so, I, I think we have to we've got a lot of work to do, and and the biggest challenge that we have is making sure that 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 legacy that that work regardless of how anybody wants to assess our success can we continue work that will inspire others to to pick it up and and do more i mean my hope is that every generation does a little bit more than the generation before them look i look back at at our history and and our culture and i realize that we've had generations of people who um who put a big effort forward I mean, they put a big effort forward to try to um, keep certain aspects of our culture alive. We lost plenty. I mean, every generation has uh, has made compromises that maybe the next generation can't fully appreciate or, or accept. Or, um, or again, they, they they didn't walk in those same shoes. I know that I look I, I look at the compromises that were made in terms of lands that were uh, ceded or or if, if not ceded intentionally that were allowed to to be slipped away you know some of the bad negotiations on uh, on land use and easements and uh, and so many other things compromises on uh, on sovereignty and that kind of stuff that may not have been an official transfer of sovereignty but but the, but that have been interpreted that way but for every shortcoming a, a previous generation may have uh, come, come come to they left enough for the next generation to to go farther than they did and look we have i think you know i, I talked about the legacy coming out of 1990 for instance the how many um the sovereignty movement you know for lack of a better word i guess the effort of of establishing uh asserting our own distinction and our identity uh, our autonomy that we've done more in the in this generation than the previous generation now we grabbed enough from that previous generation to know and to have a foundation to do what we do so 
you know, the, the hope is that that we don't fade away into uh, into the melting pot of American or Canadian uh, assimilation programs. I don't think that I, I'm not afraid of that anymore. I think there's a, there. I think we do have a, a enough of a movement, and and I think there is a strong enough legacy for resistance. Look, I you know we talk about the the warrior flag behind me here, and it's a symbol of unity and resistance. One that m- people all over the world recognize. Look, when 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 I was young and first getting started in some of this stuff and coming in in the seventies and the eighties, you know, look, we were we weren't exactly um, uh, appreciated. <laughs> and there are still people today. There there are there are there's lingering resentment um, from some of the people who 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 have been assimilated or who have compromised themselves they look at those people like myself or Chaz or or so many other people who continue to push the envelope and there's a certain resentment from uh, that comes with it but you know not not so much from the younger people and and for me I remember sitting here when when we had uh, Tio Horn and uh, Gontanetta Horn and and she asked the question of of a bunch of us right in this on the show she goes how do you look at us as the younger generation are you are you satisfied that we're doing enough because it seems like we're working hard and and look uh, you know, it's it is real easy for this generation to criticize the younger generation we can find faults in everything that our kids and our grandkids have done but the reality is we need to empower them because regardless of, of whether we have successfully transplanted our brains into the, you know in, into our our kids and our grandkids we have transferred enough and hopefully enough legacy enough passion that they're that they're going to rethink the solutions because we didn't accomplish everything we wanted to accomplish Chaz didn't accomplish everything he wanted to accomplish but now his daughter's you know taking the steps uh, taking the steps forward so I don't think we can expect the exact roadmap that we um, follow and, per, and perhaps try to craft for the future is not necessarily the roadmap that, that our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids are going to follow. And nor should, we, nor should we require that. We should be empowering them to find the solutions that we couldn't and, and, and applaud it, applaud the efforts. And, and so when I look at some of these young people, and, and look, they're accomplishing some great things. We may not see it all. Because you know we're we're blinded by the technology that that we are still struggling to to figure out. You know, I'm saying that as a, as a 60 year old man. But when I look at some of the young people and and the skill set that you know that that is demonstrated, I know that there's solutions. There's certainly there's communication solutions. I mean, I couldn't do what I'm doing here if I didn't have help from Jake and and other younger people that that have helped me. Uh, figure out how to get my message out, and so the the hope is always going to be that that we further and we advance the the effort. And again, what how how it goes from us, we don't get to make that call. We we keep we keep pushing it forward, and at some point we hand the torch off, and we hope that those um, the next generation has more success than we did. I mean, I don't, this idea of, of looking back and saying, oh, who are the great heroes of Indian country? 
That's I, I, I you know let's carve crazy horse into a mountain near Mount Rushmore. Why? I mean, we shouldn't be be stuck on the success or failures of Crazy Horse. We should un- understand what he fought for and continue that fight. We shouldn't be propping up the heroes of the past. That's not our way, actually. You know, that's why we don't have that, right? We talk about not taking a name to the grave. When we refer to somebody, we may refer to somebody who was once known as a, as by a title or a name. But we we don't want that. I mean, one of the things that you know that uh, the Ganawida is alleged to have said was that he didn't want to to be looked at as the leader. He didn't want his name to be used for other people. Not because he was trying to, you know. I mean, some people take it as, oh, his name isn't supposed to be spoken. No, it isn't that it's not supposed to be spoken. He doesn't want it to be heroized, and so that so so much so that we we think that we can never accomplish anything unless we have another Daganawida or or the very the other sentiment that people have is that we need a, a, the second coming, kind of like the second coming of Christ. Or we're, so we we'll go to the edge of the woods and we'll call for Daganawida to come back and save us again. No, that that's not the legacy that. The way I understand the story, that's that's what he condemned. The path forward was never going to be uh, fixed by somebody who's going to come from the past. The, those people who, who, whose shoulders we stand on gave us the boost already. It's up to us to do it from here. And look, we should grab everything we can in terms of um, the knowledge, the language, you know, so what we bring forward not take us backwards but what we bring forward is the best of what those people who came before us had to offer and see and that's what i see with uh, uh, again with Chaz Wheelock's daughters let them carry the best the best that Chaz Wheelock had to offer and that's what any of us in this generation look and i'm i am associated with a, with a you know a group men and women who are I'll probably be on the younger side of, of of most of my my peers, I guess. But but again, I've got I've got children and grandchildren that uh, and 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 all the people that I've come into contact with, and and I and I I will say that I have had the luxury of seeing younger people, younger than me, inspired by the work that I was involved in, not the work that I did, but the work that I was involved in with others. And and I and I know that some people marvel at the at the knowledge that that, that some of my contemporaries have uh, have you know continue to pass on. But at some point, we are all going to take a little bit that we never quite extended to. Um, we're going to take a little bit to the grave, and so there are going to be those that are going to have to figure out how to go to the next step because we won't be there to guide them. So the best we can do is establish a, a, a foundation that we walked upon and that the next generation will either use some of that foundation to build a new one or certainly build a different uh, approach to solving problems. Not the least of which, again, are the environmental issues and the environmental challenges. We have plenty of them. You know, 
they're, you know, the, the biggest problem that I see in the world around us, especially is that we're surrounded by overconsumption and, and in many ways we participate in it and, and, and I'm not you know denying that so the hope is that we can begin to change some of our behavior and then lead by example you know look we don't teach survival skills anymore I did a whole show one time in fact I, I think I even did a, um, a column in the True Road Times I talked about survival skills the, the skills that we need I mean it sounds tried to say, well, can you start a fire without a match? But I, I remember listening to Killer Mike, rap, uh, rapper from Atlanta, basically talking to a, a group of you know um, black leaders who talked about the revolution and how they you know that they want to help lead the the revolution to, into the future. And he asked the people, look, can you shoot your own food? <laughs> can you grow your own crops? Because if you can't feed yourself, you're not ready for a, res- you know, a revolution. So some basic survival skills. And, that's, and you know, look, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing more people that are doing more gardening. I'm seeing more people who are, who are, are taking food sovereignty seriously. And, and we're just scratching the surface. I mean, I, I got to expect that, you know, the, the generation of my, my children, my grandchildren are going to advance this. In fact, it's, it's my kids' generation. It's a younger generation um, uh, the generation after me that's doing that work now. But when their kids get involved, it's going to be more broad-based. broad, broad based. And look, I remember when some ag projects were started 30 years ago, and it sounded really idealistic, and it was really underfunded, and it wasn't supported by, you know, broad, it didn't have the broad-based support that it needs. And that's the challenge of and, and most of those failed. So the food sovereignty and the food is our medicine effort um was restarted only recently within you know within this last decade so now we are, we have a different effort going forward that's going to change how we view uh, health how we secure ourselves in, in into the future and look it's going to have to go beyond just feeding ourselves it's going to how do we house ourselves how do we you know light our homes and heat our homes all of these challenges are the things that not everybody has to do everything, but somebody has. To, everybody has to do something, and uh, and I got to tell you, I am optimistic. You know, I've looked at the tiny home movement, and I've looked at the food is our so- food uh, food sovereignty movement. Um, some of the um, you know holistic health issues. You know, separating you know some of the 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 hype and the you know the, the quackery from the reality. But but this these are all the challenges that we have, and and at the at the end of the day, the one thing that it always comes back to is, can we do these things and maintain the sense of community? Like I said, when this pandemic struck our area here, I saw the community come together, and I, and I'm still seeing it. Um, it hopefully it doesn't have it doesn't always have to be, you know brought about by by a disaster but you know you know look we have fires we have storms we have these things that happen and that's when people step up we need to do this on a regular basis obviously education is is something that that is going to change going forward hopefully with some of this distance learning stuff that we've been doing this might be the greatest opportunity for us to to take more control of uh, of what education is going to look like from a from a native standpoint but and that goes hand in hand with some of this stuff
So, again, I dedicate the show to Chaz Wheelock. Um, I know um, I have a sense for for the legacy that that he has um, established, not only for his children but for others that uh, that have admired his work or in his effort. So, um, I want to thank you for listening. And, and I look if you don't know who Chaz Wheelock is. Um, you know, look them up. You're, you'll you'll learn more and more. Uh, it, it's unfortunate that it's it's after we pass that that people sometimes take note, um, not just of the of the art that comes from uh, those who passed on, but 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 the work in general that people have done. But um, again, my hats off to my to my good friend Chaz Wheeler. Thank you for listening. And uh, hey, we'll be uh, we'll, uh, we'll be doing our show. Uh, hopefully with, with some new setups, uh, New York show on Thursday, and that's at 4 o'clock on Thursday. So uh, we'll be streaming it live on, on Facebook, and, of course, we'll be streaming it audio on uh, um, org. So we'll see you on Thursday. Yowie. <laughs>